have let the child settle in our lighthouse. I enrolled him in school, much to his and Prissy Taylor's dismay. He's doing well, considering Prissy's limitations as an educator and human being, he's doing wonderfully. The other children like his stories and his spirit. What struck me most is what the child does for Lampy. For such an absent father, he is a highly engaged stand-in grandfather. It's been difficult to navigate my envy. The child is becoming my father's shadow, and Dad is delighted. When I was a child, all he ever did was ignore me or push me away. Today marks our third Sunday together. I watched Lampy fix the boy's bow tie before walking into church. <sighs> that child is a miracle. Mrs. Abbott catches my arm before I can follow the boys inside. That's one way to think about it. I haven't seen Lampy this present since... I don't know if I ever have, actually. Mm-hmm. He's been taking on lighthouse shifts. He's even drinking less. He only needed a little buddy to get him through. Suppose so. Her lace-gloved hand patronizingly pats my shoulder. Don't be envious, Nora. This is how it goes sometimes. I saw it with my own father. I've done so much for him. And don't you see? With this boy, you don't have to anymore. Lampy has his apprentice now. The relief at that thought is quickly followed by terror. What freedom is there to enjoy if Paul isn't around to have it with? What does an independent life look like? Diana invited me to stay with her family months ago, but I know it wouldn't be the spare room fantasy she imagines. I've known you since the day you were baptized. I know others say it as a compliment, but I don't see you as our own Ida Lewis. You didn't choose the lighthouse. Mrs. Abbott. Pray on it, Nora. You'll know what's right. She disappears inside the church. A little unmoored, I follow and we sit in our respective family pews. I can't concentrate on the mass. I wish I had been like Ida Lewis. She was a national legend well before I was running our lighthouse. Ida was a generation ahead of me, another daughter of a lighthouse keeper who couldn't run his post. To Ida, however, the lighthouse was her entire world. It was her destiny. She was a hero, a rescuer, the highest paid keeper in the United States. She called the lighthouse her child. She chose it over marriage, over a family. She probably would have stolen a lighthouse if she hadn't been given one. After communion, we kneel in supplication and prayer. I overhear Sean Doherty, one of our oldest working fishermen, behind me. Holy Spirit, why'd you gotta dry up the sea and leave me and the boys with no catch of our own? We've been fighting over scraps ever since that boy came to town. I don't believe in monsters, but Lord Jesus, if you could bring back our fish... And get rid of the dragon! You can't keep sailors from being superstitious. Many of them blamed the boy for the temporary drought. Well, they blamed the dragon, as if there'd never been a dry spell of catch before. Wouldn't it be the kraken? My kraken? That would have inhaled all the creatures great and small in its periphery? A dragon would be pillaging our town, eating livestock. 
not diving like a pelican for lobster and tuna. Maybe my kraken was no longer satisfied with occasionally devouring me. Maybe it needed to devour all the contents of the sea, strip away the livelihoods of my neighbors and force them to desert Passamaquoddy until nothing was left but me. Maybe then it would take me away forever. Nora! We're going to whitewash the lighthouse. Throw in your paint clothes and meet us in the back. It was rare the boy was ever out of Lampy's sight now. Most orphans with imaginary friends are ignored or forgotten. But somehow this child oddly attracts the strangest types of people. The boy's adoptive family had made some haphazard, humiliating attempts to steal him back, but their bill of sale was a far cry from legal. Though the people of Passamaquoddy are still not won over by the boy, they hated to see filthy goons wandering around Main Street hollering his name. The town folk stopped them from getting to the lighthouse, and the boy's would-be captors soon gave up. That's it, my boy! Up and down, just like that. We'll get this old building in tip-top shape by the end of the day. That's a good lad. What's been far more troubling are the two traveling snake oil salesmen, who keep insisting they want to buy his dragon, pleading to me, to the boy, to sell the beast. It's disturbing. To prey on a boy's most vulnerable imagination as a means to get to him. I hate those two men. Please, he'll be a global sensation. Name your price. We're talking life-changing money. Enough to buy your mother here a nice fur coat, hmm? He's not for sale. And I'm not his mother. Oh, of course not. Far too young. Pardon. I don't have my glasses on. You must be his sister. All right, that's enough. Hit the road, you charlatan. Our caravan is just outside of town when you decide to sell. Rumor has it. They've been visiting pubs, declaring the only solution to the fish shortage was to get rid of the dragon. Some sailors have bought into their promise of taking the dragon away. Lampy has stopped going to the tavern to avoid secondhand harassment. All for a make-believe creature. Has the whole world lost its mind? Come on, my boy. To the windows. Let's get him to shine. Tonight, a nasty storm has rolled onto the coast. I can't remember the last time the weather was this violent. The lighthouse is sturdy, but the wind and rain is putting the old relic to the test. Well into the stormy night, one of our lamp windows blows open, breaking its hinges. The rain extinguishes the lighthouse flame, covering the cliffs in darkness. I rush to put on my slickers, aiming to relight the lamp as quickly as possible. Anyone at sea desperately needs the light sailing in a storm like this. Once on deck, I press my back against the faulty window as I try to relight the wick. After several failed attempts, I scream for Lampy and the boy to help. They run up. The child is able to hold his form against the window while Lampy holds the glass cylinder in place. I stifle frustrated sobs in my futile attempts to relight the flame. I'm failing over and over again. I'm going to open the window. My dragon can light it. No! The rain will ruin our wick! 
Let him try, Nora. Dad, stop it. He can do it, Nora. The dragon's right there. For God's sakes, Dad, it's not the time for make-believe. But my dragon's right outside, Nora. The child steps to the side. The window flies open again. Lampy lifts the glass away from the wick. Stand back, Nora. Dad, enough. God damn it, you stubborn girl. Stand back. I step towards him, frustrated enough to push him into the windows when I feel my left arm singe with heat. The window slams shut. The child is wet, smiling, protecting the faulty window again. Lampy quickly places the cylinder over the lit wick, and the room glows with light and heat. I have no practical explanation as to how that flame was produced. Exhausted and thoroughly wet, we fix the broken window while the child keeps an eye on the flame. By the time we're finished, dawn is only hours away. I sleep next to the flame after changing into clean clothes, afraid I won't wake to turn off the light. The sun cues me to my morning task. After the light is extinguished, I sit on the lighthouse balcony. My legs swing as I look out at the sea and survey nature's wreckage on the beach. I lean back against the brick and close my eyes. I think about my kraken. If the boy's dragon could be real. I decide we should go into town, get something special for a hard night's work. I wear my hair down and put on my favorite dress. Feeling similarly victorious, the child wears his Sunday clothes. Even Lampy spiffies himself up. My dress is a red muslin, beautifully detailed. Paul had brought it back from Prince Edward Island. He'd given it to me on the day he proposed. This day is the happiest I've been in over a year. There is a surprising amount of activity in the harbor. Sailors shouting left and right about the fish being back. Apparently, last night, the snake oil salesman had promised to capture and display the boy's dragon to the sailors, the miracle solution to their fish problem. Tickets were sold to the dragon exhibition, promised to occur in the tavern that night. Hours passed, and neither the salesman or the dragon appeared. The sailors, well drunk at this point, marched as a mob to their caravan. They wreaked havoc on the deceptive duo and ran them out of town. This morning... The sailors were celebrating the end of the fishless curse. It was the charlatan's fault all along. We Passamaquoddy men take our fate into our own hands. All over the harbor, boats were docking with full boxes of lobster and crab, nets overflowing with fish, sailors hollering and laughing with relief. What about that dragon? Never was such a thing. Lampy winks at the boy, and the boy smiles at me. I wink too, though still not convinced of what exactly happened last night. There were no such things as miracles, unless you were willing to believe snake oil salesmen. Nora! The joyous sounds of victory and abundance are so cacophonous in the harbor I can hardly make out one word. Nora! Wait, that was my name, wasn't it? But that voice! Nora! Nora! I turn. It is a man with work boots, dark pants, and a thick cable-knit sweater. His eyes are deep-set and squinting in the morning sun. He is tall, strapping, and beautiful. 
Paul? Paul! We run. I fly into his arms. I clutch his body devotionally and desperately. Oh, Nora. Oh, my Nora. A miracle. He is here. He is mine. Still in our embrace, I look out to the sea. Breaking through the surface, a tiny little tendril, decorated with barnacles, rises out of the water. Suddenly in Paul's arms, I'm struck with apprehension. <laughs>